0: Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome, listeners. I am so thrilled to be with you again today. So for all of us in the Northern Hemisphere, we are approaching spring, and what a welcome spring this will be. So to kick off the celebrations, I've invited Rai, a resident of West Bengal in India, to tell us all about the North Indian holiday of Holi, that's pronounced Holi and spelled H-O-L-I. It's otherwise known as the Festival of Colors. Actually, it's otherwise known as many things, including the Festival of Love, the Festival of Spring, and we'll be hearing all about those different uh, names and meanings today. So first, Rai details all all of the fun she had at this event every year in her childhood, just spraying colors all over her friends, possibly lobbing the occasional water balloon at passerbys. Not Rye, of course. Now, fun fact about Rai, she was the National Spelling Bee Champion in all of India in 2019. So as you can imagine, she is a hugely knowledgeable guest. And she teaches me so, so much about the religious and cultural aspects of Holi, including several stories about Vishnu and Krishna, and the breadth of ways that these stories are interpreted, understood, and celebrated across North India. Finally, we talk about Malpuas, which is a pancake like treat with soft middles, crispy edges, notes of fennel, fried in oil and ghee, and then covered with a saffron soaked syrup. So this is just a fun, festive, fascinating, delicious episode. And I am so grateful to Rai for sharing it with us and to you for being here today. I think it's, is it March 19th this year, Holy?
1: I think I sent you like March 19th, but I just checked the government list of holidays. It was listed as March 19th in West Bengal, but actually it's March 18th. Now I will be talking about why holi falls on what day or why indian festivals falls on different day fall on different days in the gregorian calendar that mm. i'll be talking about a little bit later but this year holi is on march 18th the main holi celebration is on march 18th
0: march 18th okay so here in the us you know as we approach certain holidays there's a lot that we do building up to it you know the bigger the holiday the longer the buildup. how about there um how long would, how far in advance will you start to prepare for Holi and what will your preparations look like?
1: Yes, so Holi is celebrated differently in different parts of the country, in different households, as with all holidays. Um, And it's mostly celebrated in North India. For us, Holi celebrations are not that huge, especially in my household. Mm. We would just uh, buy different colors of gulal or abir. Mm. We call it abir in Bengali. It is the colored powders which we usually use in Holi.
0: Mm, mm-hmm okay so that's the only thing you have to do to get ready is just make sure you have lots of that on hand yes
1: and okay. if we're talking about large public celebrations you know there are of course large public celebrations in Holi and they would prepare like they would buy these colors and put up these tents where people mm.
0: might play or prepare various dishes-hmm mm. okay so then walk us through um you know, the experience of the day, what is it like for you when you wake up in the morning? I mean, all of the sounds and smells and sights, tactile experiences that you that you enjoy throughout the day, just kind of walk us through the day and why it's so precious to you.
1: Absolutely. I will be walking you through a day, uh, like a day on holy, which has been quite common for the last two years because of mm-hmm. the pandemic. Because of the pandemic, it has to be a small private celebration rather than playing on the streets with friends or right. other people so holy celebrations usually begin like late in the morning after everybody has breakfasted mm-hmm. what i see in my household is my very religious grandmother spe- uh, smearing a little bit of abir on the feet mm-hmm. of the statues of the idols we have idols in our thakur ghar thakur mm-hmm. is like a little temple which most households in india have really so it's like a little temple with various statues of idols and my grandmother's presents flowers to those idols almost every day that's a regular ritual but down mm. holy the additional thing would be smearing a little bit of abir on the feet of the statues as a sign of respect
0: mm. mm-hmm.
1: after that we go on to the most fun part of the entire day which we call ronkhala which means playing with colors essentially <laughs> and We smear each other's faces with tons of different colors. And I'm talking like all possible colors are available. Mm. Go from pink, purple, green, red, yellow, blue, everything under the sun Mm. is available. You can get it in herbal shades and organic shades nowadays because people (laughs) are worried about what they put on their faces and bodies. But when we were kids, we would put some very questionable things. (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk about this a little bit later, but might as well now. There, there was a specific color called Badurong. Ah. Um, it's a very concentrated liquid color, which we would put in our water. I'll tell you later about how the procession would be. Yeah. And that was so strong that it would stay on our skin for two to three days after.
0: Wow. And
1: Yes and usually holy happens when our exams in school would happen like our final exams happen around this time february uh-huh. march uh-huh. and holy falls during that but nobody would skip their holy celebrations because of exams yeah. right <laughs> so we would be there in the exam hall the next day after Holi, and we would see people coming in with like red and pink colored faces and arms and this would love it. It, yeah
0: this special color what shade is it like what, what hue? Uh, it's available in all all shades, basically. Oh, so it's like, a, it's, it's, okay. Yeah, the name of the color is
1: Rang because it's so strong. Oh, okay, I see.
0: I see, yeah. Yes. It's referring to a type and a strength, not an actual hue. I got it, yes. okay. Okay. Yes.
1: And this is a very Bengali thing or it's mostly found in West Bengal. Mm. Like colors like this are found all around India, but this Rang thing, I have mostly seen where I grew up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's great well it, um you kind of bear the marks of happy memories on your body for a couple of days i think i would enjoy that
1: absolutely mm. so as i was saying um the ronghala is basically smearing each other's faces with tons of different colors and everybody looks absolutely spent splendid and vibrant and frankly mm. a little bit ridiculous but it just adds <laughs> to the fun yeah um yeah, there's also a tradition. This is also something that is not quintessentially Bengali. It happens all around India. Is touching our elders' feet with a little bit of the colored powder mm. as a sign of respect. Mm. And then our elders bless us again with a little bit of the colored powder on our heads. Mm. Um, so wrong color usually starts
0: with that. Mm. Is there a meaning to the foot and the head? You know, why the elders on the feet and the younger people are touched on the head is there like a circle of life meaning there or something well honestly i
1: don't really know but this is something that is all around india especially yeah. definitely north india and as well as south india before any on any festival or before any special occasion or even before like giving exams yeah. we touch our elders' feet and then we touch our own heads as a really? sign of respect
0: wow Wow! Like we bend
1: down and touch our elder's feet, and then we touch our own hands—a sign of respect. Mm, Interesting. To live a long life, or to, or best of luck for what we are going to do. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is such a respect for the elders there that I don't think we really mirror in American society.
1: (laughs) Well, and we would never call someone by their first name. Like, just by their first name.
0: Really? It's always with a honorific? Yes.
1: With, with something added, like, if it's an older male, we call them Dada. Or if it's an older female, we call them Didi. If it's quite older, mm. it's like, uh, you know, Mashi or unc- Uncle. That's a very <laughs> English address. Mm. But mm. just something, never by their first name, just mm. first name.
0: Mm. And the respect is... Or simply the fact that they've lived a lot of life and had experiences and have gained the assumption is that they've gained wisdom through those
1: yes mm-hmm. they have gained life experiences and they are more wise than
0: mm-hmm. people younger than them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think we could stand to learn a little something from that <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but it's uh yeah Okay, so you, um, you start to play with the colors. What does this look like is, you know, you see pictures, and it's like these wild celebrations in the street. It's almost, it's almost, it almost feels like um, here, we would call it like a water balloon fight. (laughs) You know, Um, what is it? (laughs) Tell me about that.
1: Yes. So I think in one of your questions, there was how have your holy celebrations changed Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. a child to an adult, basically. Mm -hmm. And it has actually changed a lot. Now, uh, I mostly used the, I'm going to call them abir in the future. And I've already explained what what it is. It's the colored powders, basically. So now we only use abir. And it's dry and it's less messy. But when we were children, we would use water balloons and colored powder, uh, like colored water and all sorts of things mm. so i'll, I'll uh, so i told you already how my day would look like this year it would just begin with you know having a little wrong color ceremony with my parents yeah. and my grandmother just mm. my family of four and a little bit on my cat but i make sure that i only use herbal things on her <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's so, so cute it <laughs> before, so. yeah and I have pictures also yeah it's very sweet uh but as I was growing up as a child it was wild as a child mm. every morning we couldn't wait to get up and go out to play colors mm-hmm. usually with friends from our neighborhood or other friends whatever but usually we would play with friends from our neighborhood mm-hmm. um and we couldn't wait to uh, wake up in the morning and go play. As soon as our parents would give the all clear sign, uh-huh. we would rush out. Uh-huh. We were all decked. We were all decked with our individual pitchkaris. Mm. We call them fitchkaris in Bengali, um, okay. which is basically a manual water gun uh-huh. consisting of a long, narrow plastic tube which we used to squirt colored water.
0: Wow! Wow! What do you What do you wear? Do you assume that your clothing is going to be ruined? Yes. Now, this is very interesting.
1: Growing up, we have always worn our worst clothes, our yeah. worst old clothes on Holi, sure. especially while, while while going to play uh, colors. But here's the thing. When you see advertisements showcasing Holi in India or even pictures or even actually many parts when people go out in large public celebrations, they are wearing Bright white clothes. And I never understood the reasoning, or psychology behind it. Maybe the reasoning was the colors would become more vibrant and more. Yes, like a blank canvas. Yeah, absolutely. Like a blank canvas. So whenever we have advertisements, for example, it's always uh, men wearing white clothes. Kurtas, women wearing white kurtis, mm. and even in parts of North India where people go to large public celebrations, you do have large public gatherings of Holi. They will wear bright white. But wow. we, growing up, always wore our worst clothes because yeah. one would be <laughs> our worst nightmare.
0: Yes. Yeah. Do you just throw it away when the day is over? No, we
1: wouldn't throw it away, but you know, we would wear something that was dark colored so that the yeah. colors wouldn't show up that much. Mm, mm-hmm. But yeah, but uh, traditionally, if you basically Google photos of clothes people wearing, holy, it was going to be bright white.
0: Right, right. Yes. Mm. Yes.
1: So these pitchkiris I was talking about, we call them pitchkiris in Bengali. The more common Hindi pronunciation is pitchkaris. Mm. Um, they come in all shapes, sizes, and colors, and they're quite cheap. So we would have multiple of them. And it was quite like a thing of pride to have, you know, the best looking fidgety. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the biggest Nerf gun, yes.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. But it's, it was quite manual and it's very simple mechanism. It's not as complicated as a Nerf gun or a water squatter, like okay. stuff you might find in your places. It was very basic machinery yeah and then we would gather all our friends and we would hit the streets or usually since we were children we would play in one of the passageways outside our houses like Mm -hmm. what you call driveway i guess Mm -hmm. like where the car would come in and everything sure uh we would start with locating a water source because water was very important that day so we would start with locating a water source usually most indian households do have a tap in their driveway Mm -hmm. like outside Mm -hmm. and we would all have our own plastic buckets we would fill them up with water Uh and then we would proceed to add color uh, which was usually a concentrated liquid color so that it would mix well with the water and that was Mm. in all shades like i am talking green red purple red yellow Mm. whatever Mm. whatever you can imagine we all had so basically the you ask for preparations we would just bug our parents to buy as many colors as possible when we were children Right. Uh, Then we would all load up our pichkiris from the buckets full of the colored water and proceed to have the time of our lives, spraying each other with colored water, running around, squealing with enthusiasm and euphoric excitement. Then we would go back for refills to our buckets. And when we ran out of the colored water, we would just proceed to fill up the bucket again and repeat the entire process. Mm
0: -hmm. And what are the parents doing? Just watching, cheering? Are they in the house?
1: <laughs> well, this process would go on for hours until our parents had to put a stop and call it <laughs> in for a bath. Um, my parents, well, it depends. Like some parents do take part in these celebrations. Sometimes my father did. Sometimes my mother did. Mm. But mostly you would find this, you know, in the younger age group.
0: Mm, but parents
1: who mm-hmm. um do participate. Another thing is, as you were t- to- uh, t- calling it the water balloon fight. Mm. So filling up water balloons and throwing them at strangers walking on the street <laughs> from the beach, is something children love to do on Holi. I usually never hit strangers but people are actually afraid to go out in holy because you know lest they are hit with water balloons full of colored water as they are just walking down the street going about <laughs> their business
0: <laughs> they must know what they're getting into when they leave the house absolutely absolutely
1: they must know so many people and I as an adult too we are afraid to leave the house because you know someone from the rooftop is going to throw a water balloon at you that's filled so with funny. colored water
0: that's great. Now, is there a feast associated? Would you come inside and have a big, I mean, we're going to talk about this recipe, the, is it malpuas? Yes. Mal, so we're going to talk so about uh, those. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yes, yeah, so after our riotous celebrations, we would, you know, have the difficult task of having our baths and try to get the colors of our yeah. hair and body. <laughs> and the evenings of Holi usually consist of bes- visiting relatives and friends and mm. engaging in various dishes, which are traditionally eaten on Holi. It, mm. Like in in some holidays, you know, you have a stopgap feast, like we are going to have this feast at this time. Right. Um. In Holi, there is no such time associated with a particular feast. Mm. We just have various traditional holy dishes, which I'll be talking about. And, you know, people serve them when relatives or friends come to visit.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. And sounds like the perfect day.
1: Yes. So Mm. as I've grown up, holy celebrations have become more demure and calmer. Mm. As I told you, I no longer play watercolors, but use Abir or Gulal, which is the dried colored powders. And I usually do it with my family. However, as he was saying, adults, millions of adults around the country engage in the most ecstatic play of watercolors. There are large public celebrations where people from all ages, backgrounds, Like rich, poor, nothing matters. They just come and they have the time of their lives and they express their inner children.
0: Mm. Mm. Where do they find all their water? Oh, they they just throw the powders dry? No, no, uh, they have
1: water. I believe the people who are organizing these gatherings they only provide them.
0: Ah, got it. I've
1: never been to a large public gathering of this sort. I have just heard it or seen it on TV. Yeah, yeah. And that's what happens kind of like you know the Tomatina festival i think in spain mm. but they only provide everything
0: yeah um, yeah is that something you would want to do one day go out to one of these huge festivals maybe no.
1: <laughs> i've never done something like that and i don't know somewhere out here uh where it might happen but maybe let's mm. see mm.
0: so is it i'm i'm thinking is it one of those things that was really more of a children's holiday and kind of out in the suburbs and people's homes? It's mostly a children's holiday, but then, you know, some, some people never grow up. I think about Halloween here. Halloween's really a children's holiday, but now it's kind of morphed into this thing where adults celebrate <laughs> celebrate kind of in their own way. Um, is it something like that where it's morphed into more of an adult holiday or is it is it is it not? Is it really a holiday for young and old alike?
1: It is a holiday for young and old alike. As I mm. said, it's just different ways of celebrating it. Mm. The old would usually just engage in just, you know, uh, just marrying Abir or Gurlal on each other's faces. Like that's what I do with my grandmother. Yeah. So the children would engage in more frivolous yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. yes, so it's, yes. A, it's a holiday for all ages and all people. Just a way mm. of celebrating it looks a little different.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay. Well, can we start to talk about... um? the meaning behind this, because what I've gathered, and I think this is true of all holidays is well, not all, but I think many, many, many holidays have a religious significance. You know, they were based in some events, some story, some religious celebration, and then they started to take on a cultural, um, flavor, you know? So again, like maybe Christmas is the most, um, it's the easiest one to draw to you know and so you have christmas celebrations but christmas in america is not going to look like christmas in spain which is not going to look like christmas in germany because there's cultural layers to all of these things and then on top of that i think you start to get seasonal celebrations you know there's like again if we stay with the analogy of christmas somehow a bunch of christmas decor is associated with winter even though Christmas isn't celebrated in the wintertime in half the world, you know what I mean? So I'd love to, right. So I'd love to break this down a little bit and talk about it as a religious and cultural and seasonal holiday. So can we start maybe with, um, well, actually I'd like to start with not any one of those maybe, but the actual meaning of the colors, like it's called the color holiday sometimes. Like where did this color come from? Is that a religious, cultural or seasonal thing?
1: So essentially, Holi is an amalgamation of seasonal cultural and religious celebrations. Mm. And before going into the religious and cultural details, I'd just like to say that there are several, several stories which lead up to the celebration of Holi and different parts and different, you know, there are different sectors under Hinduism as well. Like you mm. different sectors of Christianity, there are different mm-hmm. sectors under Hinduism, and all of them have different reasons we have several layers under it um if you just want me to elaborate i I will
0: i would love that i would be so Uh, interested in that
1: there is the shaivit layer there's the vaishnava layer there is the krishna layer but the colors mostly come from the krishna layer i believe because um you know why don't i take you through three different meanings of why holy celebrated and then uh we can work on that
0: that would be great. I would love that.
1: All right. So, it is primarily an ancient Hindu festival, although it is also observed by Sikhs, Jains, and some newer Buddhists. And as he said, it is known by many names, the most primary being the Festival of Colors. It is also known as the Festival of Spring, the Festival of Love. And I'll guide you through three different interpretations of where Holi originated and. Again, I know there will be Indian people listening to this. This is severely boiled down. If I mm-hmm. started to say the whole mythological tales behind each of these ones, it would take like three hours. Just like I, three I hours
0: understand. I understand. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I'll just say the basic and mm. the most important parts of the mythological mythology behind this. Okay. So the most prevalent significance of holy is the triumph of good over evil. And this is derived from the victory of Lord Vishnu as Narasimha Narayana over Hiranyakashipu. Now, let me break down all these complicated words okay. <laughs> so we get a better understanding of this mythical tale. Lord Vishnu is the god of preservation. He's a blue-colored deity, and he's one of the principal deities of Hinduism. Okay. He had 10 major avatars, which are basically reincarnations. Mm. The fourth of these avatars was the fierce Narasimha Narayana, which is is basically, it translates to man-lion. And this mm -hmm. avatar was half man and half lion. Mm. And he's described as a god of destruction Mm. because he was incarnated to destroy uh, evil and religious persecution. Mm. And we celebrate uh, the victory of Lord Vishnu as Narasimha Narayana, over Hiranyakashipu, who was the king of Daitas, mm. and Daitas means demons. Mm. So that is where the triumph of good over evil symbolism behind holy is derived.
0: So this is so interesting to me. He's called the god of destruction, but what he's destroying is evil. That's kind of an inversion of that word Absolutely. for me. Interesting. Absolutely. Kind of an mm. oxymoron, but... Right. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Yes so uh,
1: actually the story of Narasimha Narayana, actually the story of all vishnu's 10 avatars is very fascinating we read it as children from picture books and stuff sure. But the story of Narasimha Narayana over virinika Sh- hiranika is quite fascinating and i i would like to go into the details but it would take a long time yeah okay next next comes why is holi called the festival of love mm. and that celebrates the eternal and divine love of radha krishna Mm. Who are two deities famous for their loving bond in Hindu mythology? I'm sure you have heard of Lord Krishna or Sri Krishna. He's quite famous all around yes. Hindu mythology, and he's probably the person most refer. He's probably the deity which most people outside of Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Will
0: mm-hmm. Yes, and I'm not sure why that is. He's maybe um, just associated am, with the story that happens to appeal to Westerners or something, maybe.
1: Maybe, and even in India, like. As children we loved Krishna. We had mm. all like little TV series or animations based on Krishna and
0: yeah, he mm. was quite popular. Uh, yeah, is he the least threatening of the deities? Um perhaps
1: you might say that, yes. Mm. Basically we have a lot of adorable stories from Krishna's childhood.
0: <laughs> okay. And,
1: and, and as he grows up, we also have stories which pertain to the Mahabharata. Mm. Again. Huge, huge! It's like you know, it's like trying to talk about the Spanish Inquisition in one hour. Right, it's probably right. The topic of an entire master's thesis.
0: Right, exactly. So, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I'll try to break it down and explain to people who might not be familiar with mm-hmm. Hindu mythology as well. And finally, Holi officially ushers in the spring and celebrates the beginning of a good spring harvest after a long winter. Mm-hmm. And this use of colors. You know where holy this use of colors comes? Actually, no one is clear about this. Really? But, uh, yes, no one is clear about this. But mostly, it comes from the story of Radha Krishna. Krishna used to play colors made from flowers and other things found. It's a very, it's a very rural and bucolic scene that you might imagine. Okay. It's not okay. urbanized. It's a very rural and body scene. Uh, so Krishna played holy with Radha and her gopis and. It was just colors and love and around those lines. And basically what if you might think of it, you know, spring is associated with bright and white, vibrant colors after a brief, right. brief winter. right. So holy uses those bright colors to augment the fact.
0: Right, right. So um, okay, so a couple of questions. One, what is what is the weather while you're spraying each other with water? What will it be there in a month? What kind of temperature?
1: Oh, where I come from, Mm. winters are not at all harsh. It usually sets in around the middle of December Mm. and goes on approximately by the middle of February by the time March comes, which uh, is usually in the middle of March. We can Mm. talk about a little bit about how and why Indian holidays fall on different days according to the Gregorian calendar. We can talk Mm. a little bit about that a little bit later. But yes, the weather is quite fine. It's quite sunny and it's not absolutely not harsh and quite pleasant enough to play holy.
0: Okay. Okay. So you're, you're in Bengali.
1: Uh I'm in West Bengal. The language okay. we speak is Bengali.
0: You're in West Bengal and the language is Bengali. Okay. I apologize. Okay. And that's a warmer.
1: That's absolutely Thank yes, you. Um, Thank you. Uh That's in the Eastern part of India. Actually it's called West Bengal before because Bangladesh was essentially Oh. East Bengal. And then it got divided. Like I Bengal as a whole was referred to as Bengal before, but then the eastern part of Bengal got divided. OK, Divi- like Bengal got divided into two parts. The eastern part is essentially Bangladesh and we are left with
0: the western part in India. Interesting. OK, thank you for that. So there are parts in northern India that are parts of northern India that celebrate holy where they do have very harsh winters.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, but by the time of March, mostly everything dies down. And again, in Bengal, also there are various te- like varying temperatures. It is much colder up north in Darjeeling, which is at the mm. foothills of the mountains. But usually, where I live, the temperatures average from eighteen and twenty-five degrees Celsius, mm. of course,
0: because we are not in right, right, right. <laughs> you like the rest of the world?
1: <laughs> yes. yes, like the rest of the world. It's much easier.
0: Yes, yeah. So that's um that's about oh about sixty five. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, okay, um okay. So to go back to these stories, um, I I think I got the one about the god of destruction. He comes and destroys evil and demons. And I think I got the one about Krishna. It's a, just a happy, joyful. Um, pleasant story of his childhood, playing with colors with his brother. Can you tell me a little bit? Can you, I I know, I know that it's super complicated. Can you tell me a little bit about this um, story of love? I think I missed, I missed that. Is it just a romance? Is there a rescue involved? What's the story? What's the basic plot, I guess, of the story?
1: Uh, it's there is no basic plot essentially hmm. the love between radha and krishna is very strong and very eternal i will just tell you in a very short way radha was never the wife of krishna the wife of krishna is someone else oh. but uh, so radha was basically krishna's childhood love ah. but still krishna is mostly always visualized with radha than his own wife because their bond is eternal and most indians basically look towards their bond as something divine, eternal, everlasting, perennial.
0: Yes. It's Dante and Beatrice in the Inferno. Yeah. And the romance is, um, idealized over kind of like a more practical, pragmatic marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the thing. I see. Okay. Okay. So now also, um, you've mentioned quite a few times that, you know, the mythology, the mythical story, so on and so forth. So is there a, um, I think across any religions, right? There's a breakdown of people who, um, take stories, um, to be, you know, quite true and historical, and then there's meaning derived from that. And then there's within the same religion, generally a group of people who believe that you know the story was metaphorical or mythological so is hindu um is it similar in that maybe you believe that these stories are mythological but then there's a segment of hindus who believe that these things happened historically in in actual fact and they were recorded okay again I hope you are loving this episode as much as I did just three quick reminders for how you can help out the storied recipe first Please do not count on Instagram to tell you when all future episodes are out. You've got to subscribe. Either subscribe right now in your podcast player or to my newsletter. Either one will work great. Um, You can do that. Just look in the show notes for all the buttons to do that or clicks, links. (laughs) You know what I mean. Also, um, if you could leave a five-star review that would be amazing. It helps me pull, I can pull those to share with um, people visiting the website. Um, It helps Apple and Google and Spotify push this podcast to new listeners. And uh, yeah, it just helps to elevate the voices and stories of my guests. And then finally, if you are looking to support the podcast financially, the best way you can do that is to shop the Storied Recipe Print Shop. And you can find that link on the website. Again, every Every photo in there is honoring the stories and the traditions and the ingredients of uh, my guests. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Okay.
1: Absolutely. And this is so widely debated. Mm. I can't even if you started on that. Mm. I believe they are metaphorical and some of the things mentioned in the scriptures might not have happened. But many people say that the Ramayana and Mahabharata, which are the two main Hindu mythological scriptures, are absolutely true. Some mm. even say that scientific evidence has been found like um, there is a giant mentioned in Mahabharata and mm. apparently somewhere in, uh, I guess, like the middle of India, let's call it Uh, Somewhere in central India, archaeologists discovered apparently a huge, uh, very ancient bone structure, like a fossil. And Mm. that apparently supports some of the stories said in Mahabharata. Mm. I am not very well versed into whether it is true or whether it is not. Mm. But people usually take it as mythology as well as metaphorical. Mm. And
0: yes. I see. I see. Okay. And so the same going back to you know you said the very first um event of the day is to spread some color on the toes of the idols in the yes. um in the house. Is- and yeah, so again, so <laughs> first of all, it's interesting to me um actually that choice of word is very very interesting to me because it's kind of um it it's almost a very there's a very specific religious meaning to it at least through the eyes of the christian faith which is that an idol would be um lesser it would be like a false god a fake god but that's clearly not what you mean as a hindu um so i guess i'm just
1: mm. we love our idols we have mini statues of idols in our homes mm. we have it uh, you know some people even i have beautiful wooden structures of mm. narayana and we love our idols absolutely mm, mm. so we don't if, think of them as anything less mm. than uh now i am keeping all my personal opinions about religion and i see i understand i can, can appreciate that <laughs> because i am not very religious like i do believe yeah. in god but i'm not very religious like i do not follow a lot of, lot of traditions but i'm keeping it aside because this is about you know how holy celebrated sure absolutely
0: Absolutely, yes, and so yeah, and I'm I'm putting you in a difficult position because I'm I'm and I'm trying to keep these questions. I'm trying to acknowledge like this in my questions, point. but I'm trying it to understand hard. the breadth of belief, you know, within within this um, within this system. I guess my other question then is yes, is it? Um, I assume that these idols are so much more than you know, decoration or, um, so again, what's the breadth sort of, of beliefs about what these idols are doing in the home? Is there a belief that they're protecting? Is there a belief that, um, is there an ancestral belief that they somehow have a connection there? Like what are, um, why, why would one have an idol in their home? What would that do for them?
1: that can be a host of different factors it can be Mm -hmm. due to tradition it can be due to as you say protected belief but most people say that feel that it's sacred and it's better and it brings luck and it's very Mm -hmm. auspicious to -hmm. keep idols at home and not only do they keep idols at home many people actually uh, what my grandmother calls in Bengali is shondhe rakhano that is every evening she will give flowers to the Mm -hmm. idols and you know what incense sticks are, right? What we call dhup in Mm. Bengali, basically light incense sticks and show it to all the idols. So basically it's a very peaceful and spiritual experience. And Mm. those people who choose to participate in it, they like it.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, I had um, a guest on, I think two summers ago, and she talked about um, halva and her grandmother brought that almost every day to the temple um, to leave there.
1: Oh, as you mentioned we also have a tradition of presenting little amounts of food mm. to gods like my grandmother now presents a little bit of cashews and raisins and batasha it's basically a very uh, something made of sugar like caramelized mm. sugar yes yeah, so there is a tradition of presenting cashews and raisins and batasha mm. every evening and a little bit of water as well as as if we are feeding the gods mm. and also there is always a light burning in the temp, like in the room which we call thakul khor in the evening and god forbid if i go and turn off the light for energy saving purposes i will mm. get a good hearing
0: mm. <laughs> So and, what?
1: The light is turned, and the light is turned off at night to symbolize that the gods have gone to sleep
0: I see. Okay. So this is um and I remember I asked for this in in that episode. What what do you do with the food the next day? Do you just eat it? <laughs> eat it? That seems kind of awkward, yes. doesn't it? Yes, it seems kind of
1: awkward. Since you mentioned this, we also have this tradition of whenever something sweet is brought to the house. It it happens in our house. I don't know what happens in other people's houses. But whenever something sweet is brought, and usually on Thursday it is um, like Narayana Purnima or something like that, we present the sweet to the God before we partake in it.
0: And right. that
1: kind of frustrates me a little bit because I love sweets and you have to keep it for a few hours before you partake in it. It's not open or anything. It is covered. Oh, yeah. um, and what my grandmother does is, you know, since Patasha is essentially sugar, she just puts it in her tea. So it just melts down and flavors the tea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds delicious. So, okay. Well, thank you for being patient with my, and like I, like I said, I'm, I, I understand that you could take an entire course of study on this throughout college, you know, write a dissertation. So, but thank you for being patient with my questions about the the religious aspect. I appreciate that. How about-
1: this is very different. Like this is what happens in my household. In some other households, like uh, uh, basically in Marwari households, this type of puja might be very different. We are Bengali, we do it like this. Even some other Bengali, we are Brahmin, like my father's side of the family is Brahmin. Mm. But yeah, so in other- other Bengali houses coming from different goat roads, they might do it very differently. Mm. So it's, again, very varied and very personal.
0: I see. I see. I Yes, I understand that. I appreciate that. And I think that that's true uh, within any religion. For for sure, Absolutely. for sure, yeah. So, how about um, Holi as a celebration of your culture? And it's not really accurate to say it's a celebration of Indian culture because there's so many cultural Absolutely. differences across India. So, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Absolutely. So, I think that was a question about whether Holi is celebrated similarly in North India and South India. It's not. Holi is mostly a North Indian festival. Like we have some festivals which are truly pan-Indian, right? They're celebrated Mm. all across India in different ways, of course. Mm. But Holi is mostly celebrated in North India. There are some places in South India like Kerala, which, you know, have their own versions of uh, Holi, but it is mostly common in North India. And again, there are various layers up to that. So not going to the... Integrate details what i can talk about is you know what i was telling about about um basically holy has two parts which mm. most people don't know okay honestly i didn't know till i was quite old so the hindu calendar is lunisolar but most festivals are specified using the lunar portion of the calendar okay and since a lunar year is shorter than a solar year by about 11 days most hindu festivals occur on different days in successive years according to the gregorian calendar which we follow
0: Okay, wait. What do you mean it's lunar solar? I don't know this term.
1: Uh, It's lunisolar means it follows both the uh, the rotation, both the revolutions and rotations of the moon as well as you know, as the the Earth revolves around the sun. Like the Gregorian calendar, we follow the revolutions of the Earth around the sun. Right. But some lunar calendars they are different, right?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And since
1: the lunar year is shorter than a solar year by about eleven days, like every year it will fall on different. Mm-hmm. days according to the gregorian calendar I so see. about last year Holi was at the end of march this year it's in the middle of march i see so yeah uh, so this year as i said Holi falls on march 18th and Holi actually lasts for a night and a day it starts in the evening of purnima purnima is full moon that's what we mean by purnima mm. and it falls in the hindu month of falguna or Falgun, as we call in Bengali. Okay. Falguna is usually, you know, in the middle of March, according to the Gregorian calendar.
0: Got it. Mm-hmm. And
1: this is something that I have personally never witnessed. But it is, since it is quite popular, and we are talking about Holi as, mm. you know, yes. a Pandanian festival, I'm going to talk about it. On the eve of Holi, many places across India observe something called Holika Dahan, also mm. known as Shoti Holi. Mm. And the day after is known as Bari Um, They do it by lighting bonfires. And oh. again, I would like to sum up the mythology behind Holika Dahan in short, because again, it's quite a long tale. It is a part sure. of the Hiranyakashipu tale again. So Holika was a demoness mm. and she was the sister of Hiranyakashipu, whom we talked about earlier, the king of demons. Mm-hmm. And she was appointed by him to help kill his son, Prahlad, who was a devout believer in God. So this sounds kind of ironic, like the son of the king of demons would be a devout believer in God, but
0: right. that is how
1: the tale goes.
0: Mm.
1: Now, Holika, through her powers, was supposed to be resistant towards fire. Mm. And what she did was she tricked Prahlad to sit on her lap while she lit a bonfire around them. So the trick was <laughs> that she <went> was <laughs> resistant, she would escape the fire unharmed, but Prahlad would burn to his death. Wow. But, through the grace of Lord Vishnu, Pralhad was unharmed and instead holika burned to her death. And that is what we mean by holika dahan. We, you know, celebrate that
0: wow. by lighting fires. Wow. Wow. That's quite a visual. Okay. Absolutely. And
1: again, this is something that I have never seen personally, but yeah. this is done in several parts of the country. Yeah. What we do is we have a Bengali version of Holi, mm. which is called Dol Purnima or Dol Jatra, and it is usually celebrated in the eastern states. That Mm. is West Bengal, Orisha and Assam. Mm. And this Dol Purnima, Dol Jatra is specifically dedicated to Sri Krishna and mainly celebrated by the Gopal community of Orisha. Mm. And these three states have wildly different ways of celebrating this.
0: Interesting.
1: Again, we bring back the concept of Radha Krishna here. These idols are smeared in different types of colors, put on a palki, which is like, Mm. you know, a chariot, a handheld chariot and Mm. paraded down the streets.
0: Yes, I'm thinking, yeah, this idea of um, a bonfire. And again, again, it's a triumph of good over evil story. But I'm thinking of the idea of like an effigy that you would burn, you know. um, That is
1: what we do. Uh, There is actually a festival called Dashera. That is Ah. what we do in Dashera. We burn an effigy of Ravana. So actually, um, you know, we have a huge Bengali festival called Durga Puja, which is a 10-day festival coming up. We might talk about this someday later. We might do a whole podcast about it because it's a huge celebration. And this is essentially Bengali. This is not celebrated by other parts of the country. This is
0: very essentially Bengali. And yeah. Yeah, well, it just makes me think about the color and the smearing because I think a lot of times there's like a humiliation aspect, you know, of burning an effigy, you know, you throw rotten tomatoes or you would draw, you know, a mustache on the face or whatever. And it almost feels like maybe the colors are, you know, kind of like the humiliation before the burning of the effigy.
1: No, actually, some people uh, worship Holika at the end because, you know, mm-hmm. at the end, she sacrificed herself somehow to save Prahlad. Uh, it has actually very different meanings. Some people demonize oh, wow. Holika, some people worship Holika. Oh, but wow. we are not burning any effigy in these bonfires. We're just mm-hmm. lighting bonfires to remind us of that mythological day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And that's somehow good triumph over evil in that situation.
1: Yes, yes. So, yeah. Absolutely. So mm. Chhoti Holi mostly symbolizes triumph of good over evil and the Bari Holi, which is the play of colors. That mm. is the festival of colors and the festival of love. I and see. it beckons the arrival of spring and the vibrancy of colors in this festival symbolizes the brightness that follows come the coming of spring. I see. OK. Summer.
0: I see. Yes. OK. Um, and so as OK, so I think we've covered then the The idea that it's celebrated in the north, not so much in the south, that um, both in West Bengal and then also in other places in the country, it's celebrated, it's celebrated differently. I think we've I think we've covered that, right? Or is there more you wanted to say absolutely. about that? Okay, absolutely.
1: Okay. We have probably covered a lot about the religious and cultural significance of Holi. Oh, it's and- so interesting. Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay, and then I think we've talked about how it's a seasonal celebration, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about the recipe. Can we? Yes. I would be very glad to. Yes. Mavpua. So tell me, um, just first of all, describe it for everyone listening, what it looks and tastes like, the texture, the flavors, all of that.
1: All right. So consist of a batter fried in oil or ghee. Mm. Uh, the essential structure almost resembles pancakes, but they mm-hmm. are very soft and fluffy in the middle and thin and crispy around mm-hmm. the edges. Mm. Then they're soaked in a delightful sugar syrup flavored with saffron and cardamom. Mm. And the end result is something sweet and sticky, crispy and soft with notes of cardamom and fennel. And they are also delicious. I truly love it. And I've <laughs> eaten it so many times. Um, they are in India and Bangladesh, but they are famous all over the country, all over the country.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I am very excited about this one for sure. I'm most fascinated by the fennel. I think that's the flavor that kind of is throwing me. I was surprised to read that. Um but yeah, I can't because you're
1: associated with mostly with savory flavors, right? I
0: think so. Yeah, but I can kind of but I, we I use actually of
1: fennel in our desserts. We use a lot of fennel. It's a great little, you know, it just, you know, it's reminiscent fennel and cardamom. These are these are more of notes rather than direct flavors mm. they hitting you hitting your face there will be an aftertaste and there will be slight notes of them mm. i mean it's not a very uh, straightforward flavor like you know it's not a very straightforward flavor like cinnamon mm. or mace or something you know it's probably like mace it sticks around mm. you get the notes
0: yes and i can see i would never have thought to pair it with cardamom but i can see how it's going to play very very nicely with it so do um do all North Indians make this recipe and is it always associated with Holi? Uh,
1: growing up, I never associated malpua's with Holi, honestly. Oh. I, re- I learned recently that malpwas, I will be talking about some other dishes which are also traditionally served during Holi because, you know, it's, it's such a huge part. But uh, all the dishes which... Uh, you know, happen around Holi, they are enjoyed year-round. Malpuas, mm. I have had them year-round. It's not a very particular Holi-centric thing, something that we only make once a year. Okay. There are dishes associated with some festivals that we only make once a year, but malpuas are not like that. We can have it throughout the year. And it's not only in North India, actually. malpuas are famous, all around the country, like West Bengal, Orissa, Jharkhand, in the East, Gujarat, Haryana Maharashtra in the West, places in Central India, even some places in South India. There are Mm. several variations, hundreds of variations. Some batters contain rice flour, desiccated coconut, mashed ripe bananas are usually added in Kerala, which is Mm. a southern state. Then some use khoya, which is milk solids Mm. or chana,
0: as we call it in Bengali. Yes. And yes, side note, (laughs) I just want to ask about the yeah, the chana, I've I've always heard, actually, I made a recipe for, um, we went to visit John's aunt, who's a vegetarian, and I made one of my favorite recipes from this podcast. It's a chana masala, which is- From I, the Trinidadian al- episode, right? I've always heard it, yes, um, translated as chickpeas, but you yes. said milk salad. So tell me about this. Is this a yes. translation yes. problem?
1: Yes. Here's the thing. That is chana. That is a Hindi word. Mm. Chana means chickpeas that is a hindi word and that is what we call chola in bengali that is chana and this is chana or chena in hindi it's called chana in bengali and chena in hindi so basically both have h's but if you look at uh the phonetics mm. one you know one looks like the you know the t and the f if you mm. have studied phonetics you will understand mm. and one is like a ch sound one is a church ch, sound and one is a ch sound
0: wow that's really cool. Okay, and we just kind of mash it all together. We don't really have the um, in the yes, in the really English love. alphabet, yeah, we don't have the way to um distinguish between the distinguish, two.
1: Distinguish absolutely, yeah. Okay. We have different types of chores to distinguish between this. That's why you know I love when uh, people include phonetics while talking yes. about regional uh, regional dishes, and I love that because that really helps you understand.
0: Mm, yeah, the etymology and, and everything. I did a
1: lot of spelling bee growing up.
0: E- yes, I think I. It would be fun to just tell people right now. You are the you you were. I mean, you're not reigning because they have it every year. But you were the national yes. spelling bee champion of India.
1: Yes, in 2019.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing.
1: Yes. Um, I did a lot of- so, it really helps uh, when people include phonetics when they're talking about these things which are difficult to pronounce.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So, um, yes, you said all of Indians make this recipe. It's a very pan Indian, um, a term you were yes. using earlier. How about you didn't associate it originally with Holi? What were your earliest memories of this recipe?
1: my earliest memories of malpuas come from going to my grandmother's younger sister's house in Durgapur mm. which is a place in West Bengal but outside of Kolkata Kolkata is where I live mm. and she used to make some phenomenal malpuas. I would remember returning home and requesting my grandmother to recreate them and she would do it once or twice but not very often because it's a labor-intensive process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also very commonly found in sweet shops here and I would remember when they were brought home how ecstatic I would be yeah <laughs> i'm still ecstatic when
0: they are brought home to be very honest <laughs> you and you said you've made them quite a few times just a just Absolutely. just a couple mm. no i have made them quite a few times i
1: first made malpuas when i was 12 years old mm. i remember finding the recipe in a bengali magazine and it was very short and not at all you know not at all descriptive you know how little it's like a little blurb in a magazine mm. which mm-hmm. give you the ingredients and the roughest of Processes, mm. but I decided to make them. And you know, since I have grown up eating them, and I know how they are made, it is more right. of intuition rather than following a recipe. Right. Like I would see my grandmother, and this is, I think, in most Asian households, people don't measure; they just throw together ingredients, made, sure. know how it is made, and it comes out delicious. Sure. But I, yeah, but you know, yes. for the benefit of everybody, I like measuring. Uh, measuring things. But yes, I did all of the steps myself from making the batter to frying the mouthwash when I was 12 to making the syrup and soaking them Uh, because I have been cooking for a long time. So it's not that daunting of a process, Mm. but my grandmother would just pop in once or twice to ensure I wasn't burning myself with hot oil. Yeah.
0: Well, well, and like you said, you know exactly what they're supposed to taste like, you know, how you like them best. And I don't have the benefit of that. So I am, I am grateful for the detailed instructions and the, um, and the weights in the, you know, the measurements, um, that are, that are in weights, because I imagine that really, it needs, it needs to be precise here. So, um, I have a couple of questions about the recipe and then you can tell me your best advice <laughs> if, if I didn't. Yes, think sure.
1: As I told you, I have made malpur several times and I've refined this recipe along the way. It, there are more difficult, complicated recipes for making mm. malpur, which is koya or milk solids. They are more complicated. This is milk powder, uh, but it's just as delicious. I even recreated them on a live stream for a company called The Master Store India for our Independence Day campaign in 2020. Oh, so wow. yes, Many times.
0: Okay, you're a real expert in this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, then let me let me just ask this up front as I go to make this recipe. What do you see as kind of the pitfalls where I need to be particularly careful?
1: I think what uh, is very important is that it's not a very hard recipe. It's mm. quite foolproof. Uh, many people like deep frying their malpours. I think. It's much difficult that way than mm. rather than shallow frying because what happens in deep frying is we do want the soft and fluffy middle, but it becomes too fat like donuts. Mm. That's what it becomes. You try to deep fry the batter. What happens when you shallow fry it is you have like about half an inch, uh, inch of oil, and I think I didn't mention this in the recipe, but make sure to add it. I'll probably send you an email about. You can also add a couple of tablespoons of ghee to the oil because that really flavors it. Oh, Maybe okay. It, Many people do it in pure ghee. I find doing that is, um, you know, ghee is a little bit more expensive and a little bit more uh, harder to work with. Like the temperature is a little bit harder to achieve than just Mm -hmm. using vegetable oil. But if you just cut the vegetable oil with a little bit of ghee, you will get the flavor. But you also get the ease of using vegetable oil. And again, just half an inch, an inch of oil. And it's like making pancakes, but uh, it will naturally be that way since, you know, it's a ton of oil. It will naturally be that way that the edges become thin and crispy because it's hitting the hot oil directly.
0: Mm, okay. And so you put it, you pour um, a ladle full into the middle yes. and then you do kind of use the bottom of the label though, to kind of spread Absolutely. it around into a circle. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, you just watch until really you kind of judge doneness by the outer edges because you don't want those to burn. And then the middle is just going to be as done as it's going to be. It's going to be kind of soft still.
1: It will be soft, but it doesn't. It doesn't mean that it's undercooked. It it has to be soft. It should be soft. I understand. The uh, which are like thin and crispy throughout. You do get markers which are thin and crispy throughout. I prefer those which are like soft and fluffy in the middle and crispy on the outsides. The telltale signs for turning it turning it is just when it turns brown, mm-hmm. and you just flip it over and do it. Uh, basically, since we have done this so many times. We kind of have a sense of it. Mm. It's like a pancake. The first pancake will not turn out good, but as you do it more and more, yeah. you will get the hang of
0: it. I understand. It's I understand. Not
1: that yeah, it's do, really not that difficult.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm confident. <laughs> I'm cautiously confident. Um, what do you do about? I mean, you're putting a liquid into hot oil. What do you do about the splattering? just deal Um,
1: with it if you're if you're very careful okay i i I, it's there is not a lot of splatter or very honestly if Mm. you pour it like very close to the hot oil like not from a great height Mm. but very close to the hot oil and you know turn it around there is actually not splattering and also this is very important when you turn it make sure you turn it away from yourself and not towards yourself make sure to flip it. You know, I'm sure you know because you're a seasoned cook, but sometimes I see people making this mistake. They turn it towards themselves. That is a surefire way of getting yourself splattered with hot oil. That turn is it always away from yourself. Yes.
0: That's a great tip. That's a great tip. Okay. And then as I'm pouring the ladle full in and kind of spreading it out, what, what's the final diameter of these? Are they small? Are they very big?
1: Oh, good question. Because I have, um, ballpark it.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. uh, we no, talking no, a dinner no, plate no, or a salad no,
1: plate. plate. What's that? Oh, no, no. But, uh, much smaller than that. Basically what an average pan uh, American pancake would be. Mm. How, how, how would you describe their diameter?
0: Well, I like them almost teacup sized, um, or, you know, a teacup saucer, maybe four yes, inches. Yes,
1: absolutely. That's the best way to describe them. The okay. size of a teacup saucer
0: okay 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 that sounds good you know of course americans bigger and better like they do end mm-hmm. up you know like dinner plate this size. Is
1: this is the thing also you do have large flat malpuas as well, mm. which you know you fold it in half and eat them and then you have another malpuas which are like smaller but they are soft and f- softer mm. and fluffier so okay. again there are various variations among malpuas as well. spell okay. but this recipe is one which is like soft in the middle and you know basically it's a little uh, there's a little hump in the middle and it evens ours as you go on around the edges.
0: Perfect. Yeah. And the picture showed that very clearly. So um, the last thing I want to talk about with this recipe is the, uh, actually two more things, is the syrup. Um, You talk about the danger of crystallizing. Is this syrup almost like a caramel by the end or no? Um,
1: This is not a caramel because we're Mm. not letting the sugar darken. Mm. Now, this syrup is what we call chashni or uh, chashni basically in India. And mm. this is used in several Indian sweets, Roshagolla, Golab, jamun, Jalebi, all of them. We mm. use this shashni. The closest example I can give you to is the sugar syrup we use in cakes. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. But that is a one to one weight of sugar and water, Right chashni is a two is to one weight of sh- sugar and water okay. so it's much thicker much sweeter it's translucent it's a little light brown but it's definitely not as dark as a caramel would be
0: okay okay and again for people listening you're going to want to try this because it, the syrup is actually flavored with cardamom and saffron Yes, and um, which saffron. again saffron is associated with savory dishes um, generally in the recipes really? I read yes so I'm very These excited to try this not in sweets. Mm-hmm. we
1: mostly use them in sweets not, uh, we do use them in savory dishes like biryanis and stuff mm-hmm. and pulao's. Pulao is essentially Bengali, mm-hmm. but uh, we used them more in sweet dishes than savory dishes, I believe, in India.
0: Right. So this is just a great, great recipe to try. It really, truly is a flavor of, you know, West Bengal.
1: Yes. And saffron is also used to yield color to the syrup so that it becomes, you know, mm. wonderfully yellow. You can leave out the saffron since I know it's quite expensive. Oh and no. Ac-
0: I-, I, I actually have a tiny little thing of um, saffron threads that I had to get for a different recipe. And I'm I you know, you're you're cautious to use them. You don't want to just throw them yes. into some rice yes. someday and not cook it properly. So yeah. I'm very excited to have another way to I've been kind of saving <laughs> these precious saffron yes, threads. Yeah. So I'm very we excited. All
1: when we went to Kashmir, we bought back these tiny little boxes of saffron, which were ridiculously expensive, mm. and we have been saving it for you know special occasions. Like I told you, I make malpua several times, right? I don't use saffron all the times, but when mm. I make it for special occasions, I just sneak a little bit in.
0: Yes, I think for this for this first um for this time, it's it's worth using. And you know you don't put it until the end. So if the syrup goes bad, I just won't use it, and then yes, yeah. you
1: can strain it out and use it again.
0: Yes. Okay. Okay. Um. So my last. My last question, and we'll be brief because I think our hour is up. And thank you for your time. Um, My last question. Thank you. Yeah, you say to garnish with chopped almonds and pistachios, and I feel like I notice that a lot in recipes that come from India. So, first of all, correct me if I'm wrong on that. And I'm wondering if it's very common. Okay, I'm wondering are are just do pistachios grow um, prolifically there, and do I I realized as I was thinking through this, I know, you know, what an almond tree looks like. I don't know what pistachios grow on, what that looks like. Can you tell me anything about that? I
1: mean, a pistachio tree, I believe is like a relative of the cashew tree Mm. and it goes in like, I think, small trees. It is, you know, inherently from Iran, whether it grows a lot in India or West Bengal or not, I have absolutely no idea. I'm so sorry
0: so, for another region, maybe a more southern region, you're saying?
1: Uh, I have no idea whether uh, you know. It really depends on what where the demand is and where the weather mm. conditions are suitable for growing them. But whether it is a major product in
0: West or not, I have no idea. Okay, okay, sorry, I misunderstood what you're saying. Okay, well that that is great. I can't wait to try these. I will um try <laughs> try early and advance in email or dm if i have any problems oh, um absolutely. If, if i need advice so can you just tell everyone where to find you um so they can follow along and learn learn more of these amazing oh, okay, recipes okay. Hmm. Uh,
1: before that do you want me to just uh, take a quick minute to say some like three other things which are also traditionally served around Holi, since please
0: yeah to- i'd love to hear those
1: mm-hmm. all right so we have Gujjias, which are very popular in North India, they are basically mm. a half moon shaped sweet pastry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are crispy on outside and have a sweet filling comprising khoya, which are the milk solids and mm-hmm. the nuts, right? And this, and then we come to thandai. And mm-hmm. when we think of Holi, we in, invariably think of thandai because it's mm-hmm. a very cool, refreshing beverage made with milk, nuts, a variety of spices, and this is very interesting: rose petals
0: wow uh yes this is interesting i uh i've tried desserts with rose petal i tried one on purpose the last time i went out to eat somewhere um it was a little much for me it was a little strong i couldn't quite get used no, to it this
1: is very good this is just mm. a hint of rose mm. and it's very nice and refreshing under the hot sun and then we have rush malai which is mm. another you know very coveted Indian sweet. It's like a soft dumpling made with milk solids or chana. You see this chana is popping up a lot. Yes. In <laughs> uh, uh, soaked in a rich sweet milk syrup and finally and this is a wonderful savory dish found all over india known as dahi bhalle or doibora, as we call it in bengali which are soft varas made of lentils and they are soaked in a uh, yogurt mixture oh. which is mixed with spices and tamarind and it is very spicy tangy and it's utterly mm. delicious so these mm. four dishes are traditionally served around holi along with malpua's
0: mm. that's sounds- handai,
1: kunda rasmalai and dahi bhalle
0: mm. That sounds delicious. Wow. What a feast. Yes. Mm. All right. Well, Rai, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was a fascinating episode. Like I knew you would bring the knowledge and you did. <laughs> so thank you for I that.
1: Think while we were doing the Zoom testing, you asked me to mention that Olman story again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Okay. So as I was telling you, we Indians are obsessed with various types of nuts. And we do believe that nuts contribute to, you know, developing brain power. Mm. So all children, like all Indian parents, they're forced their children to have nuts every morning. Like still now I am 18. My grandmother forces me to have four almonds every morning.
0: (laughs) I think that's That's beautiful. Now, do you, do, do Indians drink a lot of nut milks, almond milk or things like that?
1: Um, I mean, tradition in some tra- uh, like traditional dishes, there are nut milks and almond milks, but we don't drink it regularly. Uh, Indians are quite lactose intolerant, but we don't really care. We
0: drink a lot of milk. <laughs> so the nuts are just eaten, yeah, as a little boost, a little brain boost every morning. Yes. That's a sweet yes. memory with your grandmother. I like that. Yes, and
1: it's still going on. It'll probably go on until I'm a full-fledged adult.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm not a grandmother, but I am a mother. And I can see as my oldest approaches college that you don't start to care any less. You obviously have to loosen control or there's going to be a lot of conflict, but you certainly don't start to stop caring. And I'm certain I will feel the same as a grandparent. So I think that's, I I do. I think that's really sweet. So thank you for sharing that. Yes. Tell everyone where to find you.
1: Um, you can find me at my Instagram account, brownies and bims, Mm. where you'll find beautiful pictures of food, little snippets of their history and a little peek into my love for the Victorian era.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we can follow along with the many, many accomplishments that, um, that are coming your way. Thank you very much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. Please reach out if there's ever anything I can do for you. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Rai. Have a great day. You too. Okay, bye-bye. All right, that's it for today. Thanks again to Rye. You can find all of her contact information right there in the show notes. Thank you, everyone who's listened to this point. Just one more reminder to subscribe, to leave a five-star rating or review. Both mean the world to me personally and continue to help this podcast grow and these stories be heard all around the world. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.